0: just had a question working from the bottom. Where should a self-taught... I can't pronounce, but that looks like just random letters. Um, Where should a self-taught piano start to learn jazz chords and voicings? Any book recommendations? I've watched the two-minute jazz videos to great benefit, but often I'm missing some foundational info. So, So, we do have a course, actually. We do have a course. Not to plug our own course, but I think it's actually perfect in a... Would you say Jazz Piano for Beginners or Jazz Piano Jumpstart?
1: Well, I was gonna say jazz chords for beginners is oh, this specifically yeah. is the course. Yep.
0: So, a, a, but any of those three would actually be great. Yeah, you know, I think jazz jazz chords for beginners is good. And the thing is about I'll put a books, link in the chat here. Yeah, I'm not necessarily anti-book, but I always feel like that's like learning a language from reading it as opposed to hearing it. You know, and what we try to do with the videos, um, and there's look, there's some other great courses, Artist Works, and many other good places to get courses, but I love the video medium if you don't have access to an in-person teacher which most people don't right now, but especially if you're self-taught and maybe not traditionally taught, I, I don't know, like I, I, I mean, the, the famous jazz piano book by, by Levine is very good. I think I haven't gone deep into it. I know I've heard great things about it, but for a self-taught, more beginner kind of, I don't know if that that yeah. would be the what you. I mean, it just gets so theoretical. It's and,
1: fine, but what we get to do, and really, this is this is what we've discovered is so can be so impactful about the video courses, is you know, in the jazz chords for beginners, it's all guided practice session. I'm literally right. telling you what to play, what practice. We set the metronome. Uh, There's no guesswork and like, well, how long should I stay with this? Or how should we, it's just, we, we do what I, you know, what the instructor says. And it's almost like a guided meditation or like a spin class. yes (laughs)
0: yes <laughs> something like that but it is like that and a friendly jazzy spin class for as beginners
1: were. especially they they seem to respond really well to that whereas a more advanced player who knows how to practice knows how to grow has their own systems for doing that yeah, yeah. throw all the information at them and they're going to sort that information out and put it in ways that they that they know can work but for beginner we, we recommend these videos because they just we are able to hold hold the the student's hand in a way that really makes them sound good i think as, and I'm so proud of this that we've that we do this, man. Yeah. Is sound good as efficiently as possible. Yeah, and
0: I think that the you know the guided practice sessions, especially at this level, uh, is is a real game changer. I mean, and it's not. I mean, that's just what people have been saying to us, and so it's it's a great program that, that you've developed. Because I used to think more like, oh, you should know how to practice, but that's kind of like you know, oh, you should know what to do once you get to the gym. Yeah, if you're like a gym rat or you grew up with a parent that was a personal trainer, you're gonna know intuitively what to do when you get in there. It's not as easy as just grab a weight and start doing it. But to get what all the nuances and the types of things that you do in the guided practice session, it it's not the only way, but it just it gives you an f- efficiency advantage by doing it in that way and gets you to, to, the, to the position where you can develop. Because you're, I mean, all this stuff is you're practicing on your own. Just like in the gym, you're the one who's asked to pump the iron, but it puts you in an efficiency standpoint with, with the camaraderie of others doing the GPSs too, that really gives you a great advantage.
1: It's true. Uh, we got a couple of funny questions here. Ian says, what's the best music to listen to to get pumped up for running, asking for a friend? And that's <laughs> funny because I know Ian is uh, your running guy, right?
0: Yes, and he's um, a mindfulness coach as well and is very interested because you keep mentioning your expertise in meditation and I've bragged about it and he wants, to be, he wants you to be in touch with him. Let's do it. Let's do it, Ian. totally a side note from the- Let's come up with a mindfulness
1: for jazz piano course. That'd be really fun to do. There we go. Uh, So he wants
0: to know, what was the question?
1: Oh, what's the best music to listen to to get pumped for running? What do you listen to on your runs?
0: Well, I don't really uh, listen while I'm running, but to pump up before, I'm definitely not listening to like mellow jazz. Now, I used to do- I used to go on some long runs. And I had a, yeah, right. I had a, I had kind of like a playlist that was just a lot of stuff that was sort of deep listening for me because it was stuff I knew really well. Yeah, but I find that like rhythmically and stuff, it gets a, I, I, I get a little bit thrown off with music while I'm running because I do. We we're talking about practicing different things and, and rhythmic things as well as you know melodic singing and stuff, but. Um, I, I kind of relate a lot of the running. I really get into a pace, and nice. like, I almost kind of work on my time in, in a weird way while I'm doing that. So, if the music is not at that tempo as as the running tempo gets, it gets a little bit jarring for me. But I think pumping up beforehand that's like an important thing, like you know. And I would say, yeah, actually, Black Hobs, that would be great. Any Kenny, anything Kenny Kirkland solo? On, <laughs> come on.
1: Uh, Tour Talk says, what's the best thing to drink when practicing? Well. This time. was not bad. A little espresso. A blu- little
0: blueprint espresso. I always
1: go for coffee, especially in morning practice. Coffee is the best. I tend not to drink alcohol well much at all anymore. But <laughs> uh practicing even in at night, it just makes me less motivated to yeah. finish. You know? It's time and to chill. It's like chill
0: time. It's man. chill time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Save the save the wine for like your treat after your award for little practicing. Reward. That's yeah. right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Now I I've been known to uh do a little um I haven't done it recently, but you know what? I think I do it more in the winter months now that I'm remembering. I'll do a little, like... Bourbon or whiskey or even like a cognac yeah. or yeah. an armagnac
1: some little warm your throat yeah, yeah. At,
0: at the piano now of course we're never setting it on the piano A real pianist does not put beverages on the piano <laughs> that's a, right a real pianist put beverages in the belly right <laughs> That's right. but no just a, like a nice little reward and, and that actually you can use as like a little step every time say if you're going through some scales or whatever you don't want to turn it into a drinking game that's not going to work because nope. your your mileage may vary YMMV as we are always saying so um cool Alfonso asks,
1: what are some good ear training exercises? Peter, what have you done ear training wise to like actually work on your ear training? Over well,
0: the I years? think, you know, two things that jump out. I mean, it's been many things, but the, probably the two most impactful things over the years for me was first really getting a, a deep understanding of intervals, like not only a deep understanding, just like a recall on that. And so just drill. And those are really easy to drill. And you can, you know, have a friend help you is kind of better where you're just playing. I remember my my mom or my dad would play, you know, just play intervals and then different ways and identify them or whatever. So that's just, um, but I think that that's so fundamental to all the ear training you'll ever do is being able to identify. Because, you know, when we start talking about any kind of harmonic conceptions, being able to hear them, not necessarily theoretically analyze them, but being able to hear them, it's always combination of intervals. But also when you're learning solos and that's my number two big ear training thing is learning solos. Like all that time I spent floundering through and messing is this right? What is he playing? But then you're trying to match it up. I mean that's just priceless. That is the best
1: training. And don't you think learning intervals it's almost more important for most improvising musicians to learn intervals rather than even learn how to read music. Because if you know intervals and you can hear anything like that, like intervallically, you can pick out your own music from recordings, which then, as you just said, when you then have to match it up, right? That is some additional, like, ear strength training, right? That is just essential for any great musician. I think learning solos, even learning, um, just learning melodies, learning, trying to pick out chords. I get a lot of people who are like, ah, it's so frustrating to try to pick out voicings or chords i'm like well yeah because you don't do it like just do it <laughs> if you just do it you start to understand what's going on you start to be able to hear things better it's like anything else the more you do it the easier it gets so you just right. have to throw yourself in there and do it even though it's kind of a drag at first
0: yeah and it's you know it's a process like ear training is a process even for people that um, have great ears uh, it's so much more of a process than you realize, like the amount of time that you need to spend. But it's fun if you do it right. And so, you know, we're always talking about falling in love with the process. I mean, and that's the great thing about learning solos, picking things off of uh, recordings that you like, is that it's very exciting um, as you start to do it. And I mean, and and the nice thing, too, is like, even as you're failing, you're actually developing your ears. It's one of those things sure. like, and you're going to be failing 95 percent of the time For in the sure. beginning. So you just can't get discouraged you know, grab onto the winds, make sure you're always, um, learning things that are relatively easy. And then also, uh, I, I think it's good to take some traditional, I think this is definitely not necessary, but if you want to do some more traditional ear training, sight singing, that kind of thing, or even just like get yourself a Methodist or Baptist hymnal. And, you know, and then this is a little bit more reading based, but the idea is that you're playing You know, just sing your part. If you're soprano, sing that and then leave out the other parts and you'll start to, you know. But
1: if you already know how to read music, this is really helpful for your training. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So Ian asked, same Ian, (laughs) asked, as a drummer, I would love to hear you both discuss what you like to hear from a drummer uh, in a trio context and then interplay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, he wants us to
0: play some more. Are you sure? (laughs) Yeah. You want us to play some more drums?
1: (laughs) Uh, Interplay between drummer, piano, you strive for thanks uh so uh, this is i think the drummer pianist relationship can be one of the more rewarding uh i mean it's all good but there's something really special about finding a drummer that you vibe with and that you you can react to and and you're having a conversation with and so but i think like every other instrument for me and we've talked about this lots before but the drummers that um that i vibe with the most are super clear with the form that's like first and mm, foremost yes. time and form they're really great at marking the landscape of the tune right definitely and that gives everybody in the band freedom and that also should be your job too as a as a pianist uh, or a bassist is like marking the form no matter what kind of music you're playing is part of our job in the rhythm section and yeah. so a good drummer who who you start to have a relationship with and understand how they mark the form and how they
0: how they can play off of that, that's yeah. when
1: it gets really, really good for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, what is that saying? Discipline equals freedom. Yeah. You know, so you take exactly, the, yeah. the discipline of somebody marking the form. I mean, every the, the, the key, I think, is that, you know, everybody in, internally is marking the form. Like, that's the top level. Like, when there's this innate sense of what the form is. But I think that when there's that, kind of almost unspoken trust that the drummer, and I know I'm, I'm old school. If I have any fault, it's that I'm too old school with my thought process here. I know it's supposed to be free and gazing at your shoes only, introspection and, and flannel shirts. You always so.
1: mention these any faults, but there seem to be a lot of them. I
0: have a lot of faults. If I have any faults, it's that I have a lot of faults. Uh, uh, if I have any faults, it's that I have several faults. Uh, I'm, like a, I'm like a California fault line. No, but the, the thing is, so... The drummer, I look at it as a traditional thing. I'm like, yeah, everyone's supposed to have a good time and know the form, but the drummer's really supposed to know it. So what happens is the discipline equals freedom. The drummer's discipline of, like, really nailing the form. And I don't mean, like, bang, like, on one every chorus in an annoying way. I mean, like, they're always playing the form. They're not counting bars. Like, they're playing the song all the time. So important. So they're supporting you. So it gives you a freedom and in fact, gives them a freedom in the whole rhythm section of the whole band, but it especially gives the, you know, if you're soloing or whatever, the freedom to know that you can do whatever you want. And then that helps you to learn, like, you know, part of the thing and whenever people compliment me about like, oh, wow, you play the form so well, your time is so good. I'm always quick to like give credit where credit due, And that is not only the whoever I'm playing with at that time, but the years of playing with these master drummers. You are talking about Greg Hutchinson, Brian Blade, Hurlin Riley. Um, Montez Coleman, I mean, these are some of the musicians I've played with more than anybody, so it's like, I, I'm actually, when you consider the company I've kept, kept drummer-wise, um, Carl Allen, um, Ulysses Owens, you know, the the company I've kept, kept I'm actually not that good at my time, now that I think about it. If I have any fault, it's that I didn't I didn't heed all this expertise. <laughs> um, but, but you know, also just Elvin Jones, I feel like I've played with Elvin Jones because I've listened, I used to play along with his rec- recordings and imagine playing with him. You know, you got to, you got to draw on all the different elements, Max Roach. Everybody. I would say
1: too an important important characteristic for a great drummer is is the same as any other musician, which is that they put a real priority on listening to the rest of the band and their place in it. And because it, it can be an instrument that can just kill everybody else, it can sonically destroy. It could take us all out if it wanted to. It is the veritable sonic boom. It could be of uh, uh, so jazz. a drummer that is sensitive enough to be able to keep an intense groove in a quiet dynamic and then know when to take it up and can uh, like i don't i don't want a drummer to be quiet the whole time either like i want them to elevate the room
0: like only they have the power to do you know jeff watts that's another good one like he's i mean like how do you how do you become chat you know a little bit aggressive not a little bit but like aggressive at the right times with your ideas and your time yeah